Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. And also joining me tonight, we're, we're keeping the NBA Lottery Prospect Fit series going. So before the NBA year starts, I want to talk about enough of these top draft picks and I want to talk about their fits with their new teams, what they can expect to bring to the table, and also break down these young teams a little bit, right? Talk about their young core going forward, how these guys exactly fit, and what we can expect from the Houston Rockets going forward. So Rockets are the topic tonight. We did the Orlando Magic the other night. If you didn't listen to that episode of the podcast, please go check it out on the feed. But with me here, listen, if you listen to the Locked On Network, you've definitely come across Locked On Rockets. And if you're a Houston Rockets fan, I can assure you, you've listened to this man on plenty of other platforms. He's done a lot of work in the Houston Rockets space. Credentialed media member was out at Summer League. We were just talking. We didn't get to connect this year, but hopefully next year. Jackson Gatlin. So what's going on, brother? Nathan, I am so excited to be here, man. So excited to talk a little Houston Rockets with you. I mean, this is a, a really fun, exciting young team that just added another chunk of, of amazing talent this past year in the draft. And look, you know, we, we were joking about it before we hit the record button. This team might not do a whole lot of winning this next season, but they're going to be fun. You're going to get to see flashes of, you know, potential future stardom from guys like Jalen Green, maybe Kevin Porter Jr., you know, the other young guys that they're bringing in. But I, I'm ready to break it all down with you here, man. Oh, yeah. We, we are definitely going to talk about a, a variety of players on this podcast. But obviously, as, as I said at the top, we got to start with the number three pick in the draft, Jabari Smith Jr., who ended up going to the Rockets. Wasn't projected that way for a lot of the, the pre-draft cycle, right? He was the odds-on favorite by Vegas to go number one to the Magic, and they clearly went a different direction, and we kind of thought all along if, if that's the domino that was going to fall at number one, Chet Holmgren would go number two, and everybody thought Paolo was going to end up going number three to, to the Rockets, but it's funny how things work, right? You never quite always know what's going to happen on draft night. I love I love the surprise, especially as I'm watching live. So Jackson, your, your immediate reaction when the Rockets took Jabari Smith at number three was what? Well, my immediate reaction was like, because I, I, we have to kind of rewind it right to the first pick just a little sure. bit, right? Was just like the reaction was, oh, wow, the Paolo to the Magic thing is real, right? Because we saw the Vegas numbers start to kind of shift in, in that, that brief lead up to the draft where suddenly like the winds of change were blowing really, really strongly. Yep. And suddenly it looked like a very legitimate possibility, Paolo to the Magic at number one. The pick comes in, Adam Silver announces it. Then it's like, oh, okay. And there's that sudden like, oh, wow, Paolo's gone. Then there's the moment of what does OKC do at number two? The moment Chet Holmgren's name was dropped, I, I immediately was elated. I was over the moon because that meant Jabari Smith Jr. would be a Houston Rocket. Nathan, I had him number one on my board throughout the entire really? draft process. And I actually was, throughout the whole pre-draft process, I was lowest on Paolo Bancaro. I had him fourth for a, a most of the pre-draft process, and then as we got closer to the draft, I realized I wasn't giving him the same rope that I think I was giving, like, Jaden Ivey for some of his defen defensive struggles. So I started kind of easing up there, and, and by the time the draft got here, I had, like, Ivey and Paolo on the same tier, at, you know, locked in at third, but I had sure. Jabari number one, Chet number two. So I was over the moon. I was excited. And like you said, right, we can't... Right, it's not over till the fat lady sings, or in this case, it's not over till the, <laughs> till the bald man announces the pick. And as soon as it was official that Jabari Smith Jr. would be a Houston Rocket, I was just envisioning all these different scenarios, how he would fit with the team, and things that we're going to, I'm sure, discuss in today's podcast. Absolutely, and, and things that 
Jackson has been discussing, by the way, on the Locked On Rockets feed, if you don't listen to his podcast, definitely make sure you go throw him a subscription because him and everybody else at the Locked On Network does a great job. But let's, so, so you had Jabari Smith number one overall on your board. I could, listen, about any of these guys we're talking about tonight, I could sit here, I could give the audience a scouting report on any of these guys, but it's the Draft Deeper podcast. They've been hearing about me talk about these players for so long. And one of the things I love doing on a podcast feed, why I love to have guests on is I want different perspectives. I want to hear what other people think about players, because as you go back and forth about guys and you have discussions, that's really where you evolve as a scout, as an evaluator. And that's how you grow a deeper appreciation of the game. So I want to hear some of your thoughts on these players, but let's start with Jabari Smith. So you had a number one overall. What's kind of your quote-unquote scouting report on Jabari? Why were you so confident in having a number one on your board? I think that when you look at what you need to succeed at the NBA level, right? In today's NBA, you need defense, you need shooting, you need size. Yeah. And, and there's there were two guys at the top of the draft that provided all three of those skills immediately right out of the door. And that was Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren. I think that's why a lot of you know people in the draft community had those two guys at number one and number two, respectively. However, I think with with Chet Holmgren ingrained in Chet is a level of inherent risk, right? Somebody that that's that's that big with the frame that he has, his size, right? Is he going to fill out at the NBA level? And will he, you know, will he truly blossom into the the size what you need an NBA five to be? Or is that is his strength is his physicality side of his game going to be an issue in years to come? So there was some inherent risk there. I still, you know, throughout the whole process, I basically said, look, if each one of these top prospects hits their respective ceilings, Chet's going to be the by far best player in this draft, hands I would agree. down. Right? Crazy sky high potentials, crazy sky high ceiling. But there's that level of you've got to balance the risk versus the reward factor there, right? And I think Jabari, in a way, is kind of the both the safest pick, but also simultaneously has a really high ceiling of his own because of the fact that he's a 6'10 guy who is, at the time, I thought he was going to impact the game defensively in a, in a positive manner. After Summer League, I have a newfound appreciation for how I think Jabari will be able to impact games. And I think we should start talking about him in the same light as a Chet Holmgren, somebody who's going to be kind of a defensive anchor who can, you know, transform your defense almost as a one-man one man unit. The way that he's going to impact NBA defenses with his size, with his length, with his IQ on that side of the basketball and so it's that coupled with just the size. You can't teach height, right? He's got the physicals. He's yep. got the measurables. And then you you add in the shooting, right? This was a guy who, who shot 42% in college. That shooting, even though it didn't translate in summer league, and, and a lot of people were suddenly like, uh-oh, you know, bust, <laughs> bust alert with Jabari. I'm like, okay, look, we, we see people go, we see NBA players, you know, the, the best of the best in the world, go through stretches of 5, 10, 15, 20-game shooting slumps, right? We see it happen. Is it unfortunate that it happened during the chance for Jabari to kind of showcase himself and prove why he maybe should have been the number one overall pick in summer league? Absolutely. Is it a long-term worry or concern? Absolutely not, right? There's nothing mechanically wrong with his jumper. Everything looks smooth. Everything looks so polished. And we even saw him in college, right? He was hitting deep threes in college. So I don't think yep. the NBA range is something that has suddenly messed with his head. It's just going to take a little bit of time. Maybe he was adjusting to the pace of the game a little bit or overthinking some of the uh, reps that he was getting offensively in summer league. But it, the shooting is one of the last things that I'm worried about. And he flashed so much more than that in summer league yeah. things that we weren't exactly, you know, projecting that he'd be able to do right away at the NBA level. And I think that's what has me incredibly excited. Some of the things that we saw out of him offensively in summer league as well. As Absolutely. The side. 
I, I, I would agree. And there's really, so you, you hit on both of them in different ways. There's, there's two points that really stand out to me specifically about why Jabari Smith's going to be a good fit with the Rockets, apart from just that given Jabari Smith's skill set and his size, as you pointed out, that combination, he could be a fit on any NBA team, right? Like he was the one guy near the top where you could say any of the teams across the league could, could use a Jabari Smith. But the two things that stand out the first, I'm glad you wanted to talk about the defense more so than the offense, because with a young team like the Rockets, right, you guys can go up and down the court, score a whole ton of points, but defense is always one of those things that's going to come last to young teams because you're bringing in a lot of guys, the first and second year players who need to learn how to play defense and read the game at the NBA level. And oh, by the way, they also have to learn how to interact and play with new teammates, right? Like the, the, these top defensive teams in the league that we see, take the two that were just in the NBA finals, for example, they've been playing with each other for years and years and years. And those bonds, those relationships, that chemistry is really a big boon of why their defenses are so successful. So you bring in a guy like Jabari Smith, who is an incredibly versatile defender. Um, he showed not only his length, but also his foot speed, his anticipation, his competitiveness on that side of the ball as well. He wants to play defense. How important do you think it was for the Rockets to go into the draft with the third pick saying, look, regardless of what this guy may or may not be in the offensive side of the ball, we got to bring in somebody who can play defense and really start to set the tone and, and build a culture for this young Rockets team. How important do you think that was? You know, I, honestly, Nathan, if I'm being completely honest with you, I don't think that was necessarily like a, a goal or a vision, uh, at least not with the third overall pick. I do think that the the Rockets were very much targeting and, and wanted Tari Eason with the 17th pick. And I know we're oh, going to talk about oh, him. We're going to get to him. Don't yeah, worry. A little bit further down the line. So, but you know, with the third overall pick, it, that was a, you can't lose situation, right? Because sure. it was a top three draft. You're going to take whoever's left at pick number three, right? That's the, that's the perfect spot to be in because even if whoever drops number three, right? Whether it was Chet, whether Paolo wound up there, it wound up being Jabari doesn't matter because that's the guy you take. And if he doesn't pan out, guess what? You don't get labeled, you know, a, a, you know, a dumpster fire organization for taking the wrong guy, number one overall, or taking the wrong guy, number two, and having a guy slip past you to number three and then outplay the guys who went ahead of him in the draft at number three in a three player draft, you take whoever's there and you just hope he works out for your organization. So I think that's, kind of the mentality, I guess, towards Jabari in the sense it wasn't so much, oh, we need to add a defensive guy. It's, all right, we're going to add a really, really talented player at the top of the draft. And whether it's Jabari, Bancaro, or Chet, it doesn't matter. We're going to be ecstatic about whoever we add to this group. I do think, though, hindsight is twenty twenty, but grabbing a guy like Jabari Smith at, at number three overall, right, it, it does kind of help accelerate the the you know, rebuilding side, or at least the defensive side of the rebuild for the Rockets, because you've got all these young guys, right? You, you help start to instill that new defensive identity on that side of the basketball. So again, I don't think it was necessarily an objective of the organization to get a, a you know, a defense first type player at the top of the draft, but the way that it worked out and just how much defensive potential Jabari flashed in summer league, I think a big part of it was the position that he played in summer league was different and his role was different in summer yeah. league than it was at Auburn because at Auburn, their defensive scheme was largely, all right, we've got, you know, seven footer Walker Kessler behind us funnel everything to Walker yeah. and he's just going to, you know, block everything at the rim. Whereas in summer league, the Rockets didn't, unfortunately, they weren't able to showcase Usman Garuba. And that's, you know, 
story for another day as far as the Rockets are concerned. <laughs> but what that effectively did is Jabari was maybe not necessarily playing out of position, but he was playing the five for the Rockets. And so mm -hmm. defensively, he was, you know, stationed behind everything. He was able to survey everything. He was communicating. He was quarterbacking that Rockets defense. And from the from the post area and still, you know, effectively going out, guarding pick and roll coverages, guarding on switches, all types of different, you know, defensive looks that we got out of him. But because of where he was stationed on the floor and because he didn't have another big that he was effectively funneling guys to, we got a really, really good glimpse at all the different ways that Jabari is going to be able to impact a game defensively, be it on the ball, be it in pick and roll coverage, be it isolation, uh, be it, you know, as the as a, a weak side shot blocking presence, um, all these different areas that he is, you know, really going to be able to put his stamp on the game on that side of the floor. We'll talk about lineup construction a little later on, but. You, you did bring up an interesting nugget about how they use Jabari at Summer League. Do you, do you foresee them testing out small ball five, quote unquote, with Jabari Smith playing that center position sooner rather than later? Or do you think that's something that maybe, you know, they're going to run through their options at that spot and then eventually like January, February, March, that might be something they start to tinker with? No, absolutely. I think that's going to be something we see from like day one. Um, really? Okay. The, the expectation that I have for the five spot for the Rockets this season is going to be a, a you know Alperin Shingun is going to be your starter. Yep. Uh, no Christian Wood in Houston anymore. No, you know, no questions about who the starting center spot belongs to at least in the you know not so distant future. So Alp is going to start and he's going to get anywhere from 28 to 30, 32 minutes a night, and that leaves you about eight anywhere from 20 to 16 to 20 minutes to tinker with in the backup five spot. Sure. And I think. A, a strong dosage of those minutes are going to go to Usman Garuba so they can actually hopefully see what they have with him as the, you know, as a backup big in, in today's NBA and really see if there's something there or if they need to kind of abandon the hope that he's going to be able to translate at the NBA level. And then I'd assume probably about anywhere from 10 or so minutes. So Usman Garuba getting about 10 to 12 minutes. And then the remainder of those minutes at the five spot are going to be some version of Jabari Smith Jr. Slotting over to the five spot and the Rockets playing small, playing five out, playing small, but, it, you can't even say that they're playing small because Jabari still gives you size. He still gives you the ability to defend the interior. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be a, a mismatch nightmare for opposing teams trying to figure out how they can gain an offensive advantage while also still trying to slow down the Rockets offensively who are going to be able to space things five out and, and really open up the floor with Jabari at the five. So the other part, the other piece to this is obviously the shooting ability, the versatility as a shot maker, which we don't have to talk about the, the efficiency or deficiency, I should say, that was his, his summer league shooting splits. But it's really interesting when you talk about before the draft, everybody was saying Jabari Smith needs to play alongside one or two other creators, right? Because that's not going to be something that he does at a high level immediately once he walks into the NBA. You throw him in a lineup, Obviously, Jalen Green is going to get a lot more run as he continues to grow as a pick and roll guy, as somebody who you want primarily handling the ball. You still have Kevin Porter Jr. in the mix. You have a number of guards, Josh Christopher coming off the bench, Ty Ty Washington. There's plenty of guys there to, to handle the ball and make something happen with it, right? But for Jalen Green in particular, for him to take a step as a playmaker, isn't it going to be really fun to watch him work not only just with Alper and Shangoon in the pick and roll game, having him do some fun stuff out of the short roll and then redirect the ball because Jalen's a really good cutter towards the basket too. But now you add the pick and pop dimension as well with Jabari Smith. And now you're talking about putting a bunch of different options for Jalen to go to 
in the same lineup on the floor for what you would assume to be the lion's share of his minutes. How much fun do you think some of that pick and roll or pick and pop chemistry is going to be with those two bigs? I mean, it's going to, it's going to be a ton of fun. Like that's kind of <laughs> like just thinking about the, like you said, right. And I think that's the key way to look at it, right. It's just the number of weapons that are going to be on the floor for the Rockets offensively. Jabari is going to, at the same time, right. He, you look at what the, the skill set that Christian would in a vacuum hypothetically provided and Jabari gives you a lot of that same skill set offensively he's a stretch big right he's supposed to be able to shoot the ball well from behind the three-point line yep. but Christian Wood had deficiencies in his offensive game where he would you know isolate too much or you know want to bring the ball up in transition and just you know not pass it to anybody else within the offense and you're not going to get those same moments out of Jabari, who's an incredibly unselfish player, showcased that in Summer League, consistently made the right passes, the right decisions offensively, and very much stuck to the role that the coaching staff wanted him to play, which was the primary screen setter, pick and pop threat. Um, he had a few moments where he actually like rolled to the basket as a big, although those were few and far between. Sure. So the idea of a Rockets offense centered on primary ball handlers in Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green operating either out of the pick and roll with Alper and Shingun and then having him be the secondary facilitator within the offense and being able to make that read out of the short roll or you know out of the middle of the floor, kicking it out to a guy like Jabari Smith and having him just feasting from behind the three-point line. I'd imagine that they're really going to look to use his range to stretch defenses at defenses out. So I don't imagine they're going to use him in the corners quite, quite too often. I think they're going to use him a lot out of the slot and probably top of the key to really pull the defense further out uh, away from the paint to open up those driving lanes for, for Jalen green and Kevin Porter jr. Um, and then, yeah, just as a pick and pop threat, right. Getting him involved directly in the action. I do yeah. think one area that he, he showcased a little bit, right, was the ability to finish at the rim using his length in Summer League. And even though he doesn't have, you know, an incredible ability to put the ball on the floor and, you know, cross somebody up and snatch somebody's ankles and then get to the rim and finish that way, he's got a, a pretty effective, like, dribble drive game to where if he gets, like, you know, just enough of a, a step past his defender, he's got the bigger upper body, he's got the size, the length gets one or two dribbles going and then he can just elevate once he's like, yep. you know, a few feet away from the basket and just rise up over the defense. And he did that both in the half court and in transition. So I do think as he grows his offensive game, if he can become a serviceable, uh, pick and roll big, like as far as a rim running big is concerned, as well as incorporating the pick and pop side of the game, he's going to be a nightmare to defend. And then, cause then how do you defend Jalen green and that <laughs> in a pick and roll in, in the half court? It's, it's damn near impossible. Exactly. And that, that's that's really what we're talking about with the Rockets. With, with all these interesting young picks that they're making, there's also so many different options building towards the future. They'll have a lot of different ways that head coach Steven Siles can continue to experiment with this lineup. And, and speaking of experiments, their second first round pick, we saw the Tari Eason experiment, experience, whatever word you want to use with it. It was fucking awesome, man. I, the, the, I, the, I, word, I, the word you're looking for, Nathan, is revelation. That's the right. word you want. It was the Tari Eason revelation because that was a spiritual, that was a spiritual experience watching Tari Eason dominate the way that he did in summer league. I, I came away. He, if off the top of my head, I don't really have a short list of like three to five players of who impressed me most at summer league, but without a doubt, like he would be on that, that short list. I came away incredibly impressed with him and I I had him as a top 20 player all year right I thought where the Rockets got him at the time of the draft was 
great value and, and where to get him. That's where I thought he should have went, sort of like that mid-first round range. You watch him at Summer League, and it's like, oh, my God, like this guy can actually provide top 10 value from where you got him at 17. He was that impressive on both sides of the ball. I'm curious, Jackson, to talk about not only what you saw at Summer League and how impressed you are with him moving forward for the Rockets, but also same with Jabari Smith. What was your scouting report on Tari before the draft, and where were you kind of at on him? You know, I think we use the term defends one through five so loosely in NBA circles. We throw also a pet peeve of mine. Yep. (laughs) We throw that term around all the time, right? We use it like we drink water or breathe air. And frankly, I I think it's kind of overused at this point. There's, there's truly very few players in the NBA who can actually guard one through five. I think Tari is one of those players. I think he has the, the foot speed, the, the lateral quickness, the defensive IQ, the spatial awareness, all of that to be able to defend smaller, quicker, faster players. And then he's also got the physicals, the size, the wingspan, the length, the height, uh, and the strength to defend bigger guys. So yeah. uh, genuinely, I think using that term, Tari Eason can defend one through five is true. And it's not a hyperbole. It's going to be fact. You're going to see that play out a lot at the NBA level where he's going to shut down some guards and he's going to shut down some big men. Um, and we saw that take place in in Summer League, right, where the Rockets used a, a scheme where they switched a lot of their actions defensively. And Tari had some reps where he was guarding out on the perimeter. He had reps where he was guarding on the interior. And he looked comfortable doing it both ways. To me, the thing for him is his anticipation defensively. He just has such great defensive instincts. Like, there's just guys who can just read things. And they just, it's almost like they're seeing them before they happen, uh, you know, sometimes. And... To me, a good sign of that is a guy who's a great rebounder, who, who doesn't, who's like, he's not, right, Tar Eason's not like towering over everybody out there, absorbing sure. rebounds because he's the biggest guy on the floor. He is out hustling and out working and out reading other guys for these rebounds, be it defensively and offensively. And so that level of just, again, floor awareness, the ability to read how a ball is getting, you know, going to bounce off the rim, right? You know, the we can go all the way back to... <laughs> Right, the last dance when Dennis Rodman's talking about getting rebounds, and he's like, "This," uh, he's, and he's doing the whole thing, talking about <laughs> which way it's going. I mean, I'm just picturing like the Zach Galifianakis gift from Hangover, where Tari's like calculating like where these, where the the, the rebounds are going to go, because he finishes the number one rebounder in summer league. Yeah. If you if you get rid of uh, it was Taco Fall and, and one other guy who played like two games, less than 20 minutes a night. You know, so if you 86 those two guys out of the the counting stats for Summer League, Tari Eason led all rebounders at 10.6 per game. Looked incredible doing it. So I think a big part of that is is the defensive side again. And that's crazy to think is that both the two top draft picks for the Rockets, Jabari at number three and Tari at number 17, their offensive games are exciting. And I'm, you know, very much looking forward to seeing how those translate at the NBA level, but I am more excited about what they bring defensively, both of those guys, to this Houston Rockets organization because, again, it feels like overnight the Rockets have injected a lot of defense and a lot of defensive potential and versatility and two guys who pride themselves on being top-notch quality defenders, which is going to kind of, you know, inspire the other guys on the roster to want to follow suit, right? Because nobody wants to be the one guy dragging ass on defense. Nobody (laughs) wants to be the guy that the coach is calling out. Nobody wants to be that guy. And so now you've got a guy in Jabari who's going to be an incredibly vocal leader in that Rockets locker room right away. And a guy who takes pride in defense. And Jalen Green has constantly spoken about defense throughout his pre-draft process, throughout his rookie year with the Rockets. He's going to be good, by the way, on defense. So we're talking about like the Rockets could have three 
plus defenders in their starting lineup in time with, with Jabari and Tari. We, we expect them to get there sooner rather than later. And then Jalen, as he continues to fill out his body, gets stronger. Like he's going to get in that same conversation as well. So yeah, the, the defensive identity, the Rockets can now start to build with is pretty freaking exciting. And I, it's, it's a little crazy. I want to talk more about Tari Eason than I do the, the number three overall pick in Jabari Smith, but it's, the one thing that I could really take away from summer league that stood out to me. And I was like, this is one of those things that I talked about before the draft that could make Tari a different player on the defensive side of the ball was you talked about his anticipation and how he reads the floor. Now he can just make plays because he sees things quicker than others do. Yes, he does. At times that was a bad thing though at LSU because he was such a gambling man, right? He took so many chances and some of those chances he took, left me just yelling on my screen at times I'm like just sit down defend this guy and more often than not you're going to not only stop him but you can use your quick hands in that stance and you can probably poke the ball away and still get running on transition we saw a disciplined Tari Eason on defense in summer league that that has me excited so technically a different profile a little bit than what he showed at college did that did that surprise you at all? Did that get even more jazzed up about what we're going to see in the regular season? Like, what what was your opinion on that? I think there's I think there's a level right of of in summer league. I think especially with Tari, right? He was maybe a little too aggressive in that first game, both both offensively and some of the gambles that he took defensively. Yep. And then he, I think he kind of like took a step back, took a breath, right? And he was reined like, no. it in. Yeah, he reined it in, and that was exciting, right? Because it's like. And this has been my comp for Tari Eason because it feels so similar watching these two guys play. It, he's like a, a slightly more in control Corey Brewer. The physicals okay. are not the same, but just thinking about how Corey Brewer played the game of basketball, it's like Corey Brewer was constantly on like 110. Like that's that's just how he was going. It's like Tari like reined it into like 90 or 95 to where he still got you know he's still you know out out hustling everybody, out running everybody, you know, out working everybody on the floor but reined it in just enough to kind of not be as reckless with things offensively or defensively. The number one issue that I, I see for him, and this is, a, you know, the case for pretty much every rookie that comes in, but especially for guys who are going to be that aggressive on the defensive side is going to be the foul trouble, right? He's going to, sure. he racked up a ton of fouls in, in summer league and he's going to rack up a ton of fouls as a rookie. Uh, thankfully, he's not going to be in a position, I don't think, to be warranted, you know, starters minutes right out of the gate. So I don't think foul trouble is going to like prevent him from closing out games or being available uh, yeah. when the coaching staff would want to inject him into the lineup. So, but again, that's going to be the area that he's going to have to learn how to balance being aggressive, using his hands, you know, trying to force steals, trying to force turnovers and create those opportunities uh, defensively with, with balancing the fact that he needs to be in the game just for his, his sheer presence for what he provides as a defender. Rafael Stone, called him a defensive playmaker. And I think that is the most adept, like, breakdown of what Tari provides to you because he makes plays defensively, which then turn into offensive opportunities. So what I absolutely love when, when these lottery teams do this is they, they not only identify the top talents that, that they can use their draft picks on, but they also identify where some of these talents can cross over and ultimately impact deficiencies in the team's game Overall, so the Houston Rockets last year per synergy, they were 30th in transition scoring. They were 25th in scoring out of the pick and roll, 21st in, in scoring from the roll man. They were poor on runners, and obviously they could stand to improve. They're finishing around the basket. What's excellent about where they went with Jabari Smith, with Tari Eason, and you can make an argument, one of those last points with Ty Washington at 29, 
they not only brought in some of the best talent, but they also brought in talent who in time can help address all of those weaknesses. Isn't that a really cool thing to say about a team who, who's drafting that high to really look at it and be able to make decisions, some of it based on obviously how these guys fell to them, but be able to make the decisions to really build this team and address weaknesses with the current group of guys they have. And because there's so many young guys, you would figure that this is the core they are going to look to build around the most for the next two to three years, see what they have, and then they'll make moves as they need to. But the fact that they're really able to invest in making the guys they have right now better with some of these picks, I think that's a really cool thing to see. What about you? No, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there, Nathan. The way that it worked out, right, is, and it's, it doesn't always work out this way, is they not only got the best player, I think, at every possible avenue there in the first round, they also got the best possible fit at every pick. And I think that is something that, you know, just the stars were aligned to where every single pick made the most sense for Houston, both from a fit perspective and from a talent perspective. To me, you know, even though the idea at, at, at times was tantalizing to think about, you know, uh, uh, Paolo Bancaro, Jalen Green tandem offensive duo and and the 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 ceiling that that two that that duo could potentially reach offensively. There were a ton of question marks about what that would mean for Alper and Shingun's future in Houston, what would, what that would mean for how you have to build and construct a roster around those two guys because, you know, Paolo right now at least doesn't necessarily flash the same defensive prowess that the other couple top prospects did. And so then you have to consider, okay, well, do you have to find like a defensive-minded center to place alongside Paolo to really maximize your defense to be able to achieve at the highest level? Like these are, these are questions that you have to answer, you know, much further down yeah. the timeline of rebuilding, you know, two, three, five years down the line as you're really starting to build and mold that roster into what is hopefully a playoff contender and then subsequently a championship contender but out of the gate the rockets don't have to you know address any of those questions because the fit is so seamless yeah. with all the guys that they brought in jabari smith jr is almost the exact like carbon copy exact guy that you would want to place next to an Alperin Shingun in yep. an NBA system because he answers almost every single deficiency in Alperin Shingun's game. And the, the way that they complement each other is out of this world. Like he was our, like, I, I did a recent show where I, you know, I asked a, a guest of mine and we kind of discussed this, who benefited the most from the addition of Jab uh, Jabari Smith Jr. to this Rockets roster? Was it Jalen Green, KPJ, or Alper and Shingun? And the runaway answer for both him, myself and him, as well as all the commenters, all the listeners, was it has to be Alper and Shingun. He's the guy that his future is now kind of solidified, at least for the time being. Yeah. He's the center. Moving forward, the Rockets are ready to invest in, in him and Jabari as the front court of the future for this Rockets organization. And... I, I'm honestly maybe even more excited to see how those two guys play off of each other a little bit than I am about how Jalen and Jabari are going to play off of each other. Just because I think the the potential for Alpi to have yet another outlet offensively, depending on how much the offense runs through Alpi this next season, is going to be potentially transcendent, right? Steven Silas came to Houston as this like offensive guru at the time he had the best offense in NBA history with the Mavericks with Luka Doncic in a very yep. heliocentric offense but it had some wrinkles it had a lot of fun stuff going on and things that he hasn't really been able to achieve with this Rockets roster yet in his couple seasons here so this is a big year for Steven Silas and now that he's got the talent and all these weapons offensively I'm really excited to see what he unleashes I agree 100% about the opera and Shangun piece. And, and the reason why I agree, maybe it's because I was really high on Shangun coming out of that draft as well. I mean, I would have, I would have sat there. I, I talked about when I was doing different mock draft exercises before 
2021, I was saying I would have taken Shingun as high as number six, right? If I were the Thunder and they ended up making a deal with the Thunder to ultimately get Hopper and Shingun. So it's funny, funny how that worked out. But look, 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 there is no shorter. Look, it's crazy that it's happened once. It's even crazier that's happened twice where the OKC Thunder and Sam Presti have just gift wrapped the Houston Rockets, a future all-star. So shout out to the Thunder organization. Hats off to Sam Presti for always looking out for his good friends down here in Houston. So we've talked, we, we've kind of danced around options that the Rockets have in their starting lineup. And, and I wanted to talk about what a starting lineup could look like for fans of the team. I did that with the Magic with Andrew Saul from Combos Core last podcast. And I think that was more of a discussion to have with him because I don't, I don't think there was as much cemented in stone with that starting lineup as with Houston. Like Houston, I think mean, Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, Hopper, and Shen Goon. We can name four out of five starters, right? Yeah, three spots. Those are your four. That's 80% of the way done. Right. So it's really one spot, right? It's that three spots. So there's obviously Jay Sean Tate is back. Eric Gordon's still there as the vet. Tari Eason now gets introduced into the mix. Like, like Jackson, like this is why it's great to be able to ask you the question of who you think versus who you, who you think should start versus what you think is actually going to happen because I can sit here from where I'm sitting, right? And I'm not the head coach. I don't have to deal with personalities in the locker room or try and, and make a vet or two happy with giving them a certain role within the lineup. I, I don't have to worry about any of that. I can just watch the film and I can try and judge for myself who I think should be that starting three. And for my money, it's, it's crazy that I'm saying this, or maybe not so crazy after watching Summer League, I think it should be Tari's job. I, I really think it should be Tari's job. Now, whether that actually happens because he's a rookie, he's going to have to earn that role. That remains to be seen. But if I asked you both of those questions, what do you think should happen versus what do you think is actually going to happen? What's that answer for that three spot? So what I think should happen is I think it should be Jay Shanti. Okay. And I have to go completely right. I, I, t- what, I try my best to balance between like eye test and between like what the advanced stats say. And on sure. this note, uh, none of the advanced stats support Jay Sean Tate as the fifth <laughs> starter, because unfortunately for Jay Sean Tate, the last two seasons, he's averaged out to about, I think, 31% shooting for his NBA career. He provides you so much on the floor, you know, versatility offensively. Uh, you know, he's an, he's a very elite defender, uh, you know, maybe lacking a little bit in the size department, but makes up for that just because he's a big, strong guy. Even though he's 6'4", you know, he can guard bigger players. He's effective. Um, And the three is his natural position, right? On the wing, last year he played an undersized four next to Christian Wood. You know, there were a lot of deficiencies to what the Rockets were trying to do last year, but... The hangup is the three ball. There are reports that suggest Jay Sean Tate has a revamped three ball that he's really been killing it this summer. If Jay Sean Tate magically shows up to training camp shooting 35% or higher from three, he should be the de facto starter because that is at least a, a respectable enough three-point percentage to get done what the Rockets want to do offensively while maintaining a, a new, different, kind of staunch defensive identity on that side of the basketball, being able to throw JT at the, you know, at the, the toughest task offensively or defensively, if you will, for, you know, for the team on, on, a, on a nightly basis, have him check the opposing best player, have throw Jabari on the next best player, throw, you know, KPJ, who's also improved his defense, right? You, you have all those different opportunities defensively. I, I love Jay Sean Tate, by the way. That's a, the, my answer was no slander towards that. I love watching Jay Sean Tate play. And it's really interesting how there were a number of times you can clip on the film 
from last year where other guys couldn't get it going, but he would somehow, he would make the hustle play or he'd post up at the right angle or he'd get the offensive rebound. He would make things happen for that Rockets team on the offensive side of the ball and then everything he talked about defensively. So I, I love Jay Sean Tate. I'm not mad at that, by the way. I love a big, big Tate fan. And I think you also got to look at some of the, you know, just kind of reading some of the tea leaves here. Jay Sean Tate was injected into the Rockets starting lineup 10 games into Steven Silas's career as a head coach here in Houston uh, in the midst, you know, right after the James Harden, uh, you know, saga ended here in Houston and hasn't left the starting lineup since he's all, if he's, if Jay Sean Tate is playing, he's been, he's been a starter. So you got to try and look at it from that perspective, who I think is ultimately going to start if he's still a rocket will be Eric Gordon. And I think that for a variety of reasons, I think you, the Rockets, if EG is still here in Houston, they still want to showcase him a little bit. They still want to show, hey, he's, you know, very much still a guy that can impact winning. Uh, kind of, you know, hopefully he goes out and still produces at the level that he's been producing this whole past year. And the Rockets can maybe dangle him for a future first round draft pick. I don't expect him to get a ton of minutes. Like he's not going to like get 30 plus a night and he's not going to play back to backs and he's going to, you know, rest some games here and there. But he'll be the, the starter that plays, you know, 20, 25 minutes a night primarily alongside Jalen and KPJ to do exactly what we talked about doing earlier. What, what Jabari is going to do so well is space the floor, right? Because yeah. ultimately this Rockets organization and Steven Silas, they owe it to KPJ and Jalen Green to give them the best possible tools to succeed this next season, to really try and showcase what that duo can be. And last year, they had to juggle a lot. They had to juggle Christian Wood. They had to juggle the kind of the transition and Jalen Green's rookie year and Kevin Porter Jr. adjusting to the point guard role. There is no more juggling this next season. This next season, it's, okay, how good can this group of guys be, right? You know, and they've got rookies that are very much, I don't want to say that they're not dynamic because that's not the right way to phrase it and has a negative connotation, but... They don't have a rookie like Jalen Green who can do so many different things offensively where you've got to kind of see where his strengths and weaknesses can be and, you know, practice with him on the ball, off the ball, right? Like, you know, letting him learn and adjust to the the speed of the NBA game offensively. The offensive guys, the guys they added offensively, Jabari, Tari, they're very much going to fit into their roles offensively. Spot up and shoot, you know, threes offensively, get out and transition, play, you know, hard-nosed, tough defense. Those guys can fit into their roles almost seamlessly coming into this team. Whereas with Jalen, you had to juggle quite a bit more to really see what you got with, with, with rookie Jalen Green. So I think it's going to be Eric Gordon because he's the guy that, impacts winning at the highest level on this Rockets roster. You, you could still probably make the argument. Eric Gordon's the best player on this Rockets roster. Jalen green has the most potential. He's the most talented player. Absolutely. KPJ sky high potential as well. Same for Jabari, right? Tons of potential on this Rockets roster, but EG is still the most polished player. He's the veteran. He's arguably still maybe the team's best defender. Um, although Jabari, I think, is is going to come for that title very, very quickly. The way that he impacts defense as a whole, not just on a one-on-one type of I'm going to you know lock you down, which Eric Gordon can still very much do at this stage in his career when he's you know puts his mind towards it. So putting a guy like that in the Rockets starting lineup unlocks so much more for the other guys because he doesn't need the basketball to impact the game. You know you space him five feet behind the three-point line and let him just sit there. And he'll also bail them out of some possessions offensively. So that gives the Rockets, right? It's just EG's out there babysitting the, the other the other four young guys, yeah. uh, you know, a, a rookie, <laughs> two second-year players, and then uh, effectively a guy who, as far as accumulative NBA games played, is I think not even, is basically in his junior year in KPJ. So you've got EG out there babysitting those guys. And I think that's what's going to happen. I would but I'd prefer to see Jay Sean Tate be in that starting lineup. And as as impressed as I am with Tari Eason, 
I cannot for the life of me see this Rockets organization starting two rookies out of the gate when they have other options at that three spot. If Tari was their best option at the three spot, I'd say it's going to be Tari, but they have other options that provide a bit more of that veteran stability. And even Jay Sean Tate, you know, he's going into his third year in the NBA and he's already an older kind of young player, even though he's going into his third year, he's, you know, 26 years old now, he's played overseas. He has that level of like veteran respect and veteran mentality about him. The Rockets organization consider him a veteran when they talk about classifying their young guys versus their vets, they treat Jay Sean Tate is a vet, right? They, they have, sure. he has that respect and he has that trust from the coaching staff and his voice carries in that Rockets locker room. So either one of those guys makes sense to have at least one veteran presence in the starting lineup. So I mentioned in the DMS that I was going to talk with you about ranking some of their young core, which it, that I, I know the whole team is young. I get it like that. That's a, that, that's a different meaning for, for other teams around the league. But if we're talking under 25 guys, and we're trying to rank the top five players for the Rockets' importance of the franchise moving forward in that category. There's obviously a number of names we could throw in there. I, I think Josh Christopher, Tata Washington, Usman Garuba, Daisha Nicks, they're, they're all fun names to talk about. But I think, to me, the five players of most importance will obviously be Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, Tari Eason, Kevin Porter Jr., and Alperin Shengun. And ironically enough, that, that would be my ranking of those players moving forward at this point. So if I were to ask you to do the same with those five names, given how, how well you cover the team, how much you know about the Rockets, how would you categorize those players and rank them moving forward? Can you give me your five one more time? Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, Tari Eason, Kevin Porter Jr., and then Alperin Schengen. I would go Jalen Green, number one. Okay. And I'm actually going to go Kevin Porter Jr. number two. I love it. First, I, I, first of all, I have, I'm still a big Kevin Porter Jr. guy, so I love it. Why, why would you go him at number two over Jabari Smith? Because I think with KPJ, you can make an argument that KPJ's ceiling is even higher than Jalen Green's. You can. And I think that from the flashes that we've seen out of him, if he realizes his potential – alongside Jalen Green realize it like, like if, if the Rockets hit on all these guys, yeah. we're going to be talking about a team that as long as they have the money and they're willing to pay it, they're going to be a perennial championship contender four or five years down the line from now, very much in the same boat that it feels like the Boston Celtics kind of are as their young core has started to grow and coalesce together. Jason yep. Tatum kind of, you know, growing into his MVP caliber self um, Jalen Brown, realizing his potential as, you know, a, a second option and at times a first option for that Celtics team. So the, the Rockets could very much be in that same boat. And a lot of that, is, I don't want to say it's necessarily riding on what happens with KPJ, but he's still kind of the wild card, right? Like, I feel like Jalen Green is on the trajectory to maximize potential. Jabari Smith, same thing. Very high mm -hmm. floor, very safe bet as a pick. Um, KPJ is just in a completely different boat where it's just like, what does he ultimately become, right? Is he is he ultimately a sixth man at the NBA level? Is that what his true ceiling is? Is that his best his best role on a contending team? Or can he truly be, you know, a number one or number two option as the, the floor general, the leader, the, the primary ball handler for a championship caliber organization? And this next season is going to be a really good glimpse into that because we got a brief glimpse at it at the end of last season after the Rockets had shut down Christian Wood. Now you take this with a grain of salt because it was sure. the final seven games of the season, but KPJ basically averaged, you know, 28, seven and seven over the final seven or so games and looked 
absolutely well, like in the flow of the offense doing it. Didn't look bad. Didn't look like he was just, you know, out there, you know, putting up empty stats. Like the Rockets were pretty competitive over those. At the end of the year, that that backcourt looked like it could be one of the best in the NBA for sure. Exactly. And so I think that's why KPJ has to be up there. And I'd, I'd almost, I would almost venture to say, put him at number one on the list, but I do still think Jalen Green is, is the future number one option, the future franchise cornerstone, or not even future. He is the franchise cornerstone now of the Rockets. He's the face of the team moving forward. So he has to be number one. KPG has to be number two. And for a lot of the same reasons as KPJ, you got to put Alper and Shingun at number three on that list because there are question marks about what you can achieve with LP as your five, right? He's a bit undersized at the five. It just, you know, six, nine, six, 10. Does he have another growth spurt left in him? He's still young. Uh, he just turned 20 years old the other day, like just recently. So had a, you know, a birthday, I think it was less than a week ago, actually, as we're recording this <laughs> podcast. So, you know, he's, he's, you know, effectively younger than a lot of the guys that were picked at the top of the draft in this year's draft. So, you know, what, what version of Alper and Shingun, what, what can he truly become as an NBA player, right? Is he going to be an offensive hub? Is he going to be a future all-star? Is he going to be a liability defensively to where you can't ever truly make up enough ground on the defensive side, despite what he gives you on the offensive end? Can he iron out some of the turnovers in his game? Can he kind of rein it in like we talked about Tari Eason doing and, and focus on making the right good reads offensively rather than yep. trying to uh, come up with a highlight real play every time he touches the basketball, um, which were still fun. It's still incredibly exciting to watch, but there's also a lot of errors that come from that, sure. uh, both by just, again, you talked about chemistry early on, right? There's a lot of chemistry issues that, that you know, at times LP just didn't get enough reps with his teammates. So sometimes they weren't even expecting these wild, like behind the back passes, you know, five <laughs> hole passes, you know, through opposing defenders legs, like all these, you know, insane passes that we saw out of him. But He's got incredible potential. And so as far as what this means for the organization, I think you can safely look at Jalen and he's like a lock for the two spot for the foreseeable future, right? Yep. Jabari, he's a lock to be your four for, you know, however long you can hold on to him. And Tari Eason is a wing that is going to be is going to be starter caliber at some point in his career, right? And you can make the argument that talent-wise, he's able to start right now out of the gate. Yeah. So I think those three positions, the Rockets have some some rocks, some solid picks that are going to be here for a long time. The question mark positions kind of become KPJ's future at point and whether or not Alper and Shingun is the future and the answer at the five spot. And so I think that's why those guys have to be two and three respectively on that list. And then I'd go Jabari and Tari to round out the list sure. at four and five. So it's really, it's it's the fact that those question marks exist. Why I flip-flop essentially those two groups of players, but I will... I will not argue with you about having KPJ and Shangun two and three. I'm glad that we did this podcast because any positive KPJ and Shangun talk, it brightens my day, right? This is, this is a team that I, I, I can't, I can't call myself a Rockets fan, but I already know I'm going to be watching plenty of Rockets basketball this upcoming season. They're, they're, they're one of my favorite young teams that, that I'm going to be watching moving forward. So this was, this was a pleasure of a podcast, Jackson. You, you knocked it out of the park. It was everything I could have hoped for and more. You're a true professional in the space. So thank you so much for hopping on and talking some Rockets basketball. For my audience, please let them know where they can find you and everything that you're doing in the space. 
Nathan, an absolute pleasure to be on the show. I can't wait. We're going to have to have you at some point next season to come on Locked on Rockets just to kind of oh, reflect I'm ready. On, on these young guys and kind of see what they're doing at the NBA level. And then to also kind of look at the the next you know draft batch of young guys because, look, I, I said at the top, the Rockets aren't going to do a lot of winning this season, but <laughs> which means they're going to be very much in play uh, for the uh, for the Wimby sweepstakes in next year's draft, maybe the, the runner-up sweepstakes in Scoot Henderson. And yep. so we're definitely going to have you come by to talk about some of those guys next season. But uh, for all your listeners, they can track me down on Twitter, on the Bird app, at JT Gatlin. That's where I yell about all the things that I do. Uh, I host Locked on Rockets five days a week. It's the only five-day-a-week podcast covering the Houston Rockets. Right now, we're in off-season mode, so we're not doing five days a week. But once we get back to training camp and stuff, we'll be back at five days a week going strong. Yeah. I also host Locked on NBA Mondays. I host another Rockets podcast called State of the Rockets. Uh, and then I'm also the founder of ClutchCityControlRoom.com, a Houston-based Rockets blog. That's an impressive resume, my friend. Like, like I said, you do great work in the space. So I, I truly do appreciate you coming. Yeah, and anytime, anytime you want me, man, just, just, just let me know, shoot me a message. But an even bigger thanks is in order to everybody who does listen to the Draft Deeper podcast. Those who support myself, those who support everybody in No Ceilings. We truly appreciate you out there as fans. If you aren't subscribed to the show already, please make sure you go do so. Wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, make sure you're following me on Twitter at Draft Deeper and make sure you're following the No Ceilings Collective on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA and that you're subscribed to the Substack, NoCeilingsNBA.com, where I, I did a little bit of writing about Tari Eason this week. So if you if you missed that piece, definitely go check it out. I assure you you're gonna love it. It's a Jackson, it's a whole piece where I basically admitted what I've been wrong about in scouting over the last six years. So I, lo- I love it. Look, my, I've said it time and time again. It's a running joke on LOR. I say that my favorite meal to eat is crow. I love eating crow. I love when I'm wrong. <laughs> Because yep. when I'm wrong, it shows that I, I can I can double back and I can I can grow from a mistake. And so if you're willing to go out there and say, hey, I was wrong on Tari Eason about XYZ thing, I respect you even more for that, Nathan. So kudos. Absolutely. And then if if, if you are a Thunder supporter, a Thunder fan, or you just love reading about rebuilding projects, our own Tyler Rucker just published a piece today. That, that I, I promise it's a good, it's worth your read, Jackson. I promise it's worth your read. Um, he, he called it the art of Presti and he really broke down what Sam Presti has actually done for the Oklahoma city thunder over the years. So definitely make sure you go check out that piece as well. It was wonderfully written. I I do love when Tyler does a a good deep dive on the no ceiling side. So make sure you're checking out all the content. And once again, thank you all for listening to this episode, supporting the podcast until we meet again on this feed. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. 